the Aussie dollar pushing quite a bit higher today. Why? Well, because China is talking about a stimulus at long last. It's pushing commodity prices up too. Germany, meanwhile, isn't looking too happy. The German iPhone number came in lower than expected, and the IMF still thinks their economy is going to shrink this year. Not so for the US, though. Everything's looking positive. Equities are rising. Consumer confidence is moving up. And earnings, well, two big results out just now. We'll tell you about those. It's uh, Wednesday, the 26th of July, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is up again, but not by much. It lost most of the day's gains mid-session. But the Aussie dollar racing ahead. It's up 0.7%, heading towards 67.9 US cents. The pound is also up. It's gained 0.4%, a quarter percent off the euro, though. Some interesting moves there to get to the bottom of today. Bond yields are pushing higher, up four for 10-year treasuries, up three basis points for 10 years in Canada. But smaller moves in Europe, uh, just one basis point for Germany, the UK and France. Aussie 10 years were up three basis points yesterday, up to 4.03%. Then another five basis points higher on futures overnight. And U.S. equities, that upward momentum seems to be picking up a bit more steam, up 0.6% for the Nasdaq. Actually, it paired back from 1% in the hour of power just before close. Uh, Up a third of 1% for the S&P 500 and just 0.1% for the Dow. But that is just enough for the 12th consecutive rise for the Dow. Uh, Europe is also up, but not quite so much. Less than 0.2% for the Eurostox 50, the FTSE 100 and the DAX. The CAC current, which was doing okay yesterday, is down this morning. And the commodity story, we mentioned it yesterday. Yes, oil continues to rise 1.2% up for WTI and Brent. WTI almost back up to $80. So question one for Ray Atrell from NAB in Sydney, who joins me this morning. Um, yesterday, we noticed a bit of a rise in the Aussie dollar. Today, it's up even more, even though the US dollar has been rising both days. Uh, and obviously, the Aussie dollar has been much higher recently. I mean, 68.9 middle of uh, middle of the month. But the trend really since the end of May has been up, hasn't it? So what's driving that? Well, morning, Phil. Um, I think the number one and number two answers are China, really. So, um, you know, you were talking to Sky yesterday and we did have that sort of modest increase, which, you know, frankly, didn't look like too much more than, you know, the normal intraday move. But we've seen a much more substantial um, build of that sort of Aussie rally during our time zone yesterday, which has extended overnight. So um, as you say, we nearly touched 69 a couple of weeks ago, and we've almost touched 68 from being down near a 67 just a couple of days ago. Um, I really think that, the, you know, the main reason is that the, the Chinese currency has, has really put on a bit of a spurt yesterday. Um, the PBOC, again, fixed the currency, um, you know, about five pips stronger than sort of a market-driven um, fix would have led you to believe. But it's also sort of the reflection on the Politburo's announcements that came on Monday night after the Asian markets had closed that do, I think, give the strongest indication to date um, that they are serious about stepping up sort of macro policy support for the economy after obviously what were pretty dour Q2 GDP numbers, if you recall, a few weeks ago, at just 0.8% on the quarter. But not too many and, specifics coming from them, though. No, right? not specifics, but I think that the use the change of wording is significant. In particular, they have dropped the prior reference to housing being living for living, not speculation, if you recall. That was a, you know, it's been a big buzzword, hasn't it, for the last couple of years. Um, and it's been replaced by reference to adapting to shifts in the supply and demand characteristics of the property market and to optimize property policies, whatever that means. Um, so I think that was significant. But we've also had some explicit reference to exchange rate stability. I've seen one observer said that, you know, the Politburo statements haven't mentioned the exchange rate for. Uh, the last two years, and now they're emphasizing that. And it's significant, I think, 
that in the context of this sort of mini US dollar revival that we've had in the last month or so, um, the PBSU hasn't allowed the Chinese currency to reflect that via a higher US dollar renminbi rate. So, um, you know, the Chinese currency was up something like 0.7% over the course of um, over the course of Tuesday. And uh, Aussie dollar, not coincidentally, up exactly the same, 0.7%. So it is all China, isn't it? Because, I mean, we obviously lately we've been seeing currencies rising because central banks have been more hawkish for that country. So obviously there's, you know, more being more bonds being bought for the for, for the yield story. But uh, in Australia, I mean, that is not the case. I mean, the RBA has been more cautious than most. No, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I'm still, you know, in terms of our forecasts for Aussie getting back up through uh, the 70 cent level in the second half of the year, you know, one of the ingredients implicit in that forecast is that the RBA, you know, will be seen to still have some more work, uh, work to do. We'll talk about um, the CPI numbers today and what that means momentarily, for example. But, um, you know, the thing that's really been holding, um, you know, the Chinese currency back, sorry, the Australian currency back you know, has clearly been concerns about China growth and and just how serious they are about providing stimulus. So the fact that that does, we do seem to be in the nascent stages of a sort of a meaningful shift in Chinese policy um, is a message that's not being lost on the currency. Right. And commodities, because we're seeing commodities, not just oil, we're seeing commodities rising as well. So presumably that's on the back of, uh, you know, the hope that China is going to be pushing up demand. Absolutely. And I'm just looking, if you look at metals prices, for example, we've got nickel, we've got zinc, we've got copper, We've got iron ore all up more than 1% in the last 24 hours, including a nearly 5% rise in nickel. So um, the Aussie, again, has been displaying sort of an unusual sensitivity to uh, day-to-day swings in, in the iron ore price. Sometimes that's a that's a correlation that works when it's working, as we say, in uh, market parlance. But um, of late, it has been a good one. And say some reasonable gains, which I think you know, come directly on the back of that China news. So, very different story for the euro, not doing at all well today. Now, some of that will be on the back of uh, the, the German IFO, sentiment there falling for the third time in a row, 87.3 this time. They revised down the June number as well. Uh, so, the current conditions, business climate, the business expectations, I mean, they're all going down, but obviously still better than they were last October, but down quite a bit from, from, from April. So, that... You know, it, it's not looking good there. And then we had uh, the, the ECB's quarterly lending survey as well, which showed a sharp fall in demand for companies for loans or drawing on their lines of cres- uh, credit. And the same for, for household credit and household lending as well. Uh, well down, expected to fall even further in Q3. So there's no good news coming out of, uh, of Europe at the moment, is there? No, not absolutely. If you look at, again, looking at the currency scoreboard, the euro is the weakest currency. So the reason that the uh, you know the US dollar um, is a little bit stronger is all driven by, um, by euro weakness. It's down about a quarter percent. And uh, I guess the IFO survey was no great surprise after the weakness that we saw in the German uh, PMI data on Monday. Um, but that Q2 lending survey was eagerly awaited. We saw a, a quite significant tightening of uh, lending conditions coming through in Q1, but also a loss of demand. But it's really the, the standout feature of this Q2 survey is that the, the the index for the net demand for loans has fallen to minus 42% after minus 38% in Q1. And the ECB notes that that is the, a record low for uh, loan demand, whether it's from businesses or from households, um, in the sort of 20-odd year history that that survey has been running. 
Mm. So that must change the perspective for the ECB, doesn't it? And and then on top of all of that, you know, just to reinforce the point, the IMF has uh, just upgraded its global growth forecast for 2023, but it didn't do it for Germany. So it's basically pushing everyone up, but uh, they're forecasting still minus 0.3% uh, GDP growth. So in other words, it's falling uh, for Germany this year. That's right. So the only G7 country that will be in recession as far as the IMF's uh, latest forecasts are concerned. But yes, going back to the ECB, you know, obviously a 25 basis point increase increase uh, following Thursday's meeting is, uh, you know, seems to be wholly assured. Every ECB member has told you it was going to happen. Uh, but I think that those lending, uh, that lending survey and the signs of, of building um, economic weakness clearly, you know, have influence on the, you know, will they, won't they follow up um, a, a move to what, 375 this week, going to 4% in September. Um, and while we can argue that, look, the signs of uh, the tightening in conditions that's coming through for, from bank lending, um, and the evident weakness of the economy means that they should be maybe one and done this week. And you know, remember that the ECB's mandate is a single mandate on inflation. So, you know, we've seen still seen fairly trivial declines in, in core Eurozone inflation in the last couple of months. So on that basis, it's still way too soon for the ECB to be sounding the all clear as far as the risks of further increases are concerned. So, you know, in the face of this building economic weakness, it's going to be all about you know, what inflation numbers do between now and September. And uh, that will be the overriding uh, determinant of whether there's still more to come. Now, uh, trouble in Europe, but, you know, it's looking good in the United States. Uh, that divide is getting clearer, isn't it? So the conference board, Consumer Confidence Read, uh, up this morning, out early this morning, is up more than expected, up from uh, 110 to 117. So that's very positive. Uh, in fact, a two-year high for that conference read. Again, consumers still fearful of a recession. So, you know, all good as far as they're concerned, apart from the possible retraction in the economy. But generally, I mean, people are spending, they're spending less on travel, recreation and discretionary items, the report says, but uh, more on healthcare and streaming services. So they're bunkering down. They are cocooning, I think it's the technical term. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but generally, I mean, th- things looking strong. I mean, even the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index still, a, you know, a big negative, but not as negative as it was. So mm-hmm. even the stuff that's bad is less bad than it was. That's right. So well, you'd argue with the, with these indices, it's it's still declining, but declining at a less rapid pace. If that's good news, then uh, sure, we'll take that. But, um, <laughs> we'll take but I think in terms of overnight market reaction, I, I clearly, I think the strength of that conference board index at 117 up from 110 you know, certainly the read yeah. across there is that, um, you know, real consumer spending, um, you know, looks like it could be reasonably positive uh, over Q3. And it sort of plays to this, you know, we've, we've been preoccupied with the hard landing, soft landing narrative, haven't we, in recent weeks and months. Uh, but the no landing scenario has been getting a little bit more airplay. And, uh, you know, I think that's, a, you know, that message hasn't been lost on, on US equity markets, which, uh, you know, showing decent gains in both the S&P and the NASDAQ. Well, of course, big earnings results this week. We've got some of them already. Which uh, after the close, which I'll come to in, in just a second. But uh, let's uh, let's move closer to home. Uh, well, actually, before we do that, the, just very quickly as well, the UK a slow climb back. Uh, the CBI trends survey yesterday. Uh, some positive signs there, but it is a, it is a slow climb back, isn't it, for the UK? Let's look at let's let's move to Australia. The CPI numbers uh, they come in uh, today. Um, so, yeah, what are we expecting and how sensitive is the Aussie dollar going to be to this? I mean, if they come in high, presumably that could that could push the Aussie up, couldn't it? No, certainly. I mean, we're going into the CPI numbers with the market, um, 
pricing, you know, just over sort of, I think it's just over about a 40%, so between 40 and 50% chance. So, you know, at the moment, it looks like, a, you know, a, the proverbial coin flip, basically, as far as whether they will or not. And, and, you know, everybody's been making it very clear, including at the RBA itself, that, you know, these Q2 C, uh, CPI numbers that we'll get at 11.30 this morning are going to be pretty pivotable, pivotal to, um, you know, to what next week's decision is. Um the consensus and also NAB's forecast for the for the most important trimmed mean in, uh, number is 1.1% on the quarter. Um, you know, so that would see um, annual core inflation coming down. You know, a few tenths. That's also in line with the RBA's uh, May statement of monetary policy projection. So if it comes in in line with the um, with the RBA's prior projection, I guess you know on the surface you'd see that as consistent, perhaps with a, a second consecutive rate skip next week. If the RBA is, is sort of inclined to look for reasons not to have to raise rates again, against that, um, you know, certainly the the, the view of uh, uh, of Taylor and Tappas and others who've crunched the numbers is that they're fearful that, you know, particularly on services and core services, um, so excluding things like travel, for example, um, but dominated by wages, rent and energy, um, aren't going to show any signs of moderation in, in Q2. And if that's the case, um, then the, the, the risk is that the RBA will be less confident that um, underlying inflation will be back uh, to the top of the, the band, i.e. 3% in the so-called reasonable time frame. So there's a risk that today's numbers do see a small lift to their uh, projections. Remember, we'll get a um, statement of monetary policy at the end of the week with new forecasts. So um, yeah. On that basis, you know, we're not convinced that the the message from today's CPI will will you know will give the RBA the confidence that uh, they can stand pat for another month or two. So at this stage, our inclination is to still still think that if numbers come out in line with their own expectations and those services numbers are, are worryingly strong still, then um, yeah. more likely than not, the RBA will conclude that um, they should go again next week. So we need them to be a bit more like the Americans in Australia, don't we? We need you to all uh, sort of like cocoon more, uh, consume less, and uh, just get those streaming services and uh, sit at home and watch the telly. Uh, then maybe things Absolutely. will slow down. Uh, so that's today. Uh, tomorrow morning, of course, the FOMC, 25 basis points is expected. The question is, is this the end of it? The press conference afterwards might give some hints. It's going to be a question of whether Jerome Powell, who doesn't always exactly stick to the script, does he? Is he going to have his hawkish hat on or his dovish hat on tomorrow? Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the key thing is that uh, the, the, it'd be very, very surprising if uh, the signalling out of the Fed was that they think that uh, the move that we will get tomorrow morning is one and done. I just don't think they're in a position to do that. Um, but it's going to be the choice of words. So they're going to be the, you know, the excruciating passing of every word in uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell's press conference as to uh, the market thinks they're one and done. The Fed is uh, goes out of its way to say that, uh, you know, we, we're not willing to say that yet. And um so, um, you know, whether or not the choice of words, we'll, we'll see the market lifting its pricing for a further rate rise. Um, we await developments. With it interest. would be a lot easier, actually, if he did have a dovish hat or a hawkish hat and he just put it on. <laughs> uh, so we didn't have to go through this interpreting the words. Well, I mean, it might look rather silly, uh, but, you know, uh, we, at least we'd know. And earnings, which I'll, uh, I did say, I'll tell you about that in just a second. But we'll say good, uh, goodbye to you for now, Ray. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, earnings for Alphabet and Microsoft since the close. 
Alphabet shares well up over 7% in after-hours trade because the estimate for Q2 earnings was $60.3 billion. It came in over $62 billion. Uh, Microsoft results strong, but not strong enough, it seems. I mean, they had strong growth in their crowds, cloud services. The revenue of $56.2 billion was against estimates of $55.5 billion. So you would have thought that was good earnings per share. 2.69 against estimates of 2.56, uh, but shares down almost 2% in after-hours trade. So there must be something else going on there, which we don't have time to explore, because that is it for today. We can talk about it tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. For NAB, I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. This is The Morning Call. See you then.